Hallelujah. This is revival, folks. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit's so thick in here. Hallelujah. We praise you, Holy Spirit. We praise you, Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, folks. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. knows that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the almighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated if you can this morning. Praise the name of the Lord. We thank the Lord for the mighty move of the Holy Spirit already. I'm just so thankful for what God's doing in our midst. And I don't want to kill the Spirit. And if this kills the Spirit, then the Spirit wasn't right in the first place. But before we go into the word of the Lord this morning, we're going to have a word of prayer for Israel. Israel's under an attack. They are um, in war. Many uh, Israelis are being killed. And we need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for God's will to be accomplished in that area. We've even got someone here locally in the area, around the area. I don't know exactly where they pastor. Sarah Selvage had called in and said her brother's pastor is over in Israel with his best friend, and she mentioned his name was Brandon Petty, and they're in Israel on a tour or whatever, and now they're caught over there in the middle of war. We wanted, They've been said that they were not going to be able to fly out. They've been put into shelters, and um, I think the war even kind of got a little bit more intense this morning in the northern part of Israel. And we're going to pray right now that God would push back Israel's enemies, and that Israel would be able to defend her country, and that God would bring peace to Jerusalem. Would you pray with me right now? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come to you right now, and we know the prophetic promise over Israel. But yet, even though there's that prophetic promise, Lord, we also know that we're to pray for them because you told us to. You are the one that even told us to pray for the peace of Israel, and we pray for that, the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, God, that you would spare your people and your nation Israel. And that, God, everything that the enemy has planted, planted, planned and plotted, God, that you would, God, put it to naught, that you would go before Israel, God, and that you'd help them to wipe out their enemies. Let the king arise and let his enemies be scattered, O oh God. Let your people be protected. And God, let your Holy Spirit put a shield over that place. And every nation that is plotted against Israel, God, we pray that they'll be brought to naught. God, we pray that every plan and scheme that they have and every thought that they have, God, that would that, that you would set them up as an ambush, God, that Israel might 
prevail over her enemies. God, we pray for the beauty of your Holy Spirit to shine again in that homeland, God, where your son was crucified and to where the Savior was birthed and where the Savior was brought forth. We give you praise and we give you honor and glory, God, for watching over your people and sustaining them and keeping them by your sovereign hand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for praying for them today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, give the Lord praise. That's all right. <clears throat> I'm going to get in the word of the Lord. Everything that has been going on here this morning kind of confirms the word that the Lord has given to me for the congregation. I was out last week. We took a little trip, me and my wife, and I listened to Brother uh, West uh, on Sunday morning and, and part of uh, Brother Josh. He kept uh, the streamline, was it good where I was at, and he was in and out, in and out. And what I heard, I'm not going to let them preach no more. If they can out preach me that bad, I'm not going to have them preach no more. Wasn't that marvelous last Sunday? What I've seen, uh, my goodness, you need, to, you need to let them men know how much you appreciate them. And, and uh, the Bible says in the book of Luke, you can remain seated this morning. You've been up and down. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and verse 32, the Bible says, and let me give them time to get that up on the wall there. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Today, have you ever noticed that we have both a negative and a positive within our text? We have a blunder, but yet we have blessing. We have a problem, but we also have a promise. We have failure, but yet we see faith. Anywhere you see situations in the Word of God, there is always provided a solution. Every time we see a warning, we have a promise of winning. When we see loss, we also recognize that we have our we have ability to get great gain. And when there is tragedy, yet there's the promise of triumph. There's no situation you can that you can find yourself in that is the final thing, as the old expression says, that breaks the camel's back and it's the end of your hope. Let me just stop and say this right here. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there is hope. There is never a time while you're living where you run out of hope. There are times in each of our lives that we face the experience where we feel like that we cannot carry on. I know there's been times that I have felt that way. I just can't go another step. I can't lift another leg. There are times when we feel outnumbered, outperformed, outsmarted, and we feel like that we are even an outcast. Have you ever felt that way? We feel at times that we don't match up, that we don't fit in, that we don't belong. We feel inadequate. We feel insufficient. And we feel we have a lack of ability and we have a lack of quality. There's times that all of us feel like failures. There's times that all of us feel like that this thing, I just don't match up. I'm not going to make it. I'm not clean enough. I'm not smart enough. I, I, I'm not brilliant enough. I, I, I don't have the, the, the talent that, that, that I need to go on. And there are times that we simply don't believe in ourselves. And no matter what anybody says, we can't even believe what they say about us because we see ourselves in the light of how we view ourselves and how we feel. That is human nature. If I feel a certain way, then I begin to view myself that way. And when I begin to view myself that way, there's nothing you can say a lot of times to change my mind. We all have faced those moments when our backs were against the wall and we didn't always respond with an attitude of faith. As a matter of fact, if you'll be honest with me here today, we have done just the opposite. There have been times that we have responded out of the flesh. We have all doubted. We've all been pessimistic and negative and ill-feeling toward this thing called faith. As a matter of fact, there's times in my life where I just said, I'm tired of this faith stuff. I want to see something. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever felt like that you lose on every ground? Every time you turn around, you're losing. Every time you turn around, you're being pushed back. Every time you turn around, it's a negative. Every time you turn around, something's wrong. Have you ever been there? Am I talking to anybody here today? I want to talk to you a little while on the thought, don't accept failure as defeat. And second of all, there's a difference. Don't accept 
defeat as a failure. Matter of fact, when you look into the scripture text, the first thing you're going to find out is Peter, that great man Peter, is on the brink of a failure. He's on the brink of making one of the worst decisions of his life. The mistake that he's about to make is one of the most dangerous in nature and is very, very serious. However, there isn't. this isn't the first time that Peter failed. And a matter of fact, it won't be the last time that he failed because we see him failing many times throughout the scripture. This means that most the most serious mistakes in your life that may even have great consequences to them, they do not negate God's love for you and God's possibility of your future blessings. So much of the time we think, well, I blowed it, it's over, I'm done, I'm through. Just because you blowed it don't mean you're through. Can I have an amen? It was the famous quote of Corey Tim Boone that said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I love that no matter how deep you dig your hole, there's always a rope long enough to pull you out of it. No matter how low you go, there's a lifter up of your heads. No matter how weak you get, there's strength that comes to you. Can I have an amen? I don't know who I'm talking to here today, but somebody is going to get a renewed spirit inside of them that's been war-torn and battled and they're tired and they've been lied to and the enemy is making a heyday of their mind. I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ you are a victor and you might as well claim it rise up and defeat your enemy can I have an amen you know failure in itself isn't defeat defeat only happens when the failure fails to get back up and try again Peter failed miserably yet his failure was a direct result of his thinking that he would never fail his failure stemmed from a root of being overconfident there's been times I've been that way as well there's been times that you know the Lord's blessed us and the Lord's touched us and things will happen and I'll start to run out and Jenny will say, slow down a little bit. You need to pray about this thing. And you're not their savior, buddy. And you, don't, you know, you don't have the answer to everything. And sometimes we forget that when things are going good. And sometimes we get overconfident. Though it's not wrong to believe in oneself and have self-esteem, so much of the time we hear people preaching against total self-esteem. Well, let me tell you, whatever you think in your heart, that's what you are. If you think you're a failure, you'll be a failure. There's a certain amount of belief you have to have in yourself. Can I have an amen? you got to know whose you are. However, on the other side, you cannot think more highly in yourself than what you ought to think. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Therefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Our confidence has to be of a godly nature, and it has to stem from our relationship with God and our dependence upon him. Because without Jesus, I can do anything, but with Jesus, I can have self-esteem because I know who I belong to. I know who I am and I know what I can achieve. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am more than an overcomer. Can I have an amen? Jesus could see what Peter himself could not see, and I'm concerned all too often that's where most of us are at even here in the body of Christ. Peter was like what Harvey Harvey Farstone said. He said, we see things not as they are, but as we are. All too often, many of us can only see things in the light of who we are and not the way that things actually are. The carnal man sees things only in the realm of his own perception because he cannot accept that anything else can exist outside of his own precepts, and that's what we call ego, and that's what we call pride. He sees things only in the light of who he is. He thinks that everyone thinks and believes and behaves and acts like he does. And this is why that when people present a problem, if they'll present a problem to the council, it's always this. It's this is what they normally say. Everybody is saying, well, first of all, the first question I begin to ask is, who's everybody? And when you begin to ask who's everybody, you're going to find out that most of the time it ain't even 1% of the people. But it's exaggerated in the mind of the person that's bringing it to you. But uh, you know what? The, then they'll say, well, you know, there wasn't very many people, but I know how they feel. They know how the people feel only on the basis of what they think that they feel. And they think that the people think and feel the way they do, because the way that... 
they do because that, because that's the way the person thinks. It, let, let me say it this way. They set themselves up to become the spokesman for everyone else. Peter was told and warned that Satan desired to have him and to sift him as wheat. Let me tell you, let me stop and say this right here. Satan desires to have every single one of you. He, has, he desires, he's like a roaring lion, walking about, seeking who may be devour. He's your common enemy. He's uh, my enemy. He's your enemy. And no one wrestles uh, uh, within themselves. They wrestle with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. We do have an enemy. But before every failure, right before we ever fail, there will always be a warning from God. There will be a prompting. There will be a wooing. There will be a, a conviction. There will be something God will break in and let you know that Satan's trying to set you up if you'll listen. God always forewarns his people. Can I have an amen? To have means, he said, Satan desires to have you. That word have means to control, to manipulate, to enslave. If there's one thing that the devil would love to do is to take a person, enslave them, to control them, to manipulate them, to use them for his, for his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And to sift means he desires to sift you as wheat. It means to crush, to pulverize, to pound, to take from a solid state to a powdered substance to reduce to small particles. If there's one thing I want you to know, the enemy don't just want to do, wound you. He wants to kill you. He wants to pulverize you. He wants to destroy you. The enemy's plans is to reduce us, weaken us, and take away our potential, our influence, and our God-given authority. He's out to belittle us, to make us smaller than what we are, to take away our significance and to negate our importance. His main goal and focal point is to, to take away one's value. And let me stop right here and declare to every single one of you, I don't care how you feel about yourself, I don't care what other people are saying about you, you are valued in the eyes of God. You're valued in the eyes of the palace of praise, and you're valued in the eyes of your pastor, Kent Miller. There's no junk here. There's nobody here that isn't loved and appreciated, and God has allowed us to see the potential that lies in each and every one of you. There's no trash here this morning. There's no outcast here this morning. There's nobody lesser than here this morning. I don't care if you're educated or not. I don't care if you're rich or not. I don't care if you got good clothes on or bad clothes on. I'm here to tell you we're equal at Calvary. We're all important. We're all special. And every single one of you, God loves you in Jesus' name. Can I have an amen? After Jesus gives Peter these warnings, he lets him know, Peter, Satan's after you. Be alert. Be watchful. Be sober. Peter's reply was, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee, both in prison and in death. His statement appears to be one of strength, one of commitment, one of faith, one of obedience. He's having an up day. Have you ever had an up moment where you feel like you could run through a troop and jump over a wall? Come on, somebody. Have you ever had an up moment when you thought, Moo, I speak to that mountain, it's gone. Hallelujah. Have you ever felt that power and the energy of the Holy Spirit? Amen. That's how Peter felt at this moment. He's ready to go to battle. He's making an open confession. Buddy, I'm willing to die with you. I'm willing to go to war with you. Matter of fact, he proves it. He pulls out a sword and cuts a man's ear off. He's ready to go to battle. His statement arose out from his own self-confidence, however, and Peter could not see his own weakness and his own vulnerability, but Jesus seen it. Peter's underestimated the enemy's ability to shipwreck his faith. Peter went from self-confidence to complete collapse of faith in just a moment of time. Everyone always says that the devil always attacks us when our faith is low and when we're down and when we're at our weakest point, but that's not always the case. Let me just give you a word of warning. And the enemy sometimes attacks us right after a moment of victory when your faith is an all-time high and you least expect it. Oh, I love the service here this morning. How many were edified and lifted up? Amen. Amen. How many's faith was encouraged? We're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We're also overcomers by our faith because this is the victory that gives us the victory over the world, even our faith. However, because your faith was uplifted, the moment you walk out of this building, the enemy's on your heels. He's hounding you. He's going to try to take away and steal what you experienced right here today. He don't wait till you're weak. He's on your tail right now, even in this service. 
You say, man, that ain't very encouraging. Well, I'm just telling you what Jesus is telling Peter. Look at Peter for his example. One minute he's willing to go to prison to fight the war, even die for Christ. He's confident, full of faith, full of assurance of who he is. But after just one moment of testing and tempting and a moment of failure, he almost loses his faith altogether of who he is in Jesus Christ. The very Christ that he was willing to die for, he's now denying. Come on, denied him three times. Jesus said before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, not me. But he did. A matter of fact, Jesus himself told Peter that he had prayed for him that his failure would not cause his faith to fail him. That's kind of an odd prayer because he already predestined his failure, and yet he also predestined him to overcome it. Look, look, it's odd how that we can lose our confidence over just one moment of weakness or over one moment of failure. It's odd how that one minute we're blistering hot and we can make a blunder, say something we shouldn't, go somewhere we shouldn't, do something we should, and immediately we feel like we're wiped out and we're out of the game and God don't love us anymore. It's the oddest thing to me. We can throw away a whole lifetime of testimonies just over one split second of a bad decision. Matter of fact, we can look back and say, God done this and God done that. And in 1970, God done this. In 72, he done that. 74, he done that. In 78, he done that. In 98, he done this. And we can go right down through the years. We can have a lifetime of testimonies and we can blow it. And here in 2023, but it's all over. All that was good, but I'm done now. Come on, somebody. But the great thing about it is just because you may lose faith in yourself does not mean that Jesus has lost faith in you. <laughs> I love that. Did you know that it's possible for you to fail without you falling out of your faith? Your failure doesn't always have to wipe you out of your belief in who you are, especially when you remember who God is. Hallelujah. Jesus told Peter, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Here we see that Jesus seen failure and a leader at the very same time. Not only did Jesus foresee and expose Peter's failure, but he also foreseen and predicted his leadership. He predicted his fall, but he also prophesied of his faith in him to rise to power. Oh, hallelujah. You may be down today, but I want to tell you before morning hits, you're going to be back on your feet. There's somebody wallowing in the pig pen, but you're coming back home. There's somebody out there in a sand trap, but God's about to dig you out. There's somebody out there, and they're over their head, and he's throwing a lifeline. Come on, somebody. The old ship of Zion's coming by to free you. Somebody in this building's all tied up, but I want to tell you, he's fixing to set the prisoner free. There's somebody got all twisted up and all messed up, but God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of restoration. He's a God that never forgives where we're at. He'll bring us to the newness of life all over again. Oh, would you stand and give him praise? Come on, he's done you that way before. God just spoke to my heart and just gave me a word of prophecy. He said, I'm coming and I'm going to give the palace of praise newness of life. Hallelujah. Are you ready for the newness of life? Why is it that we're so focused on the negative but we lose sight of the positive? Did you know there is never a failure to where there isn't a provision? There's never a situation to where God don't have a solution waiting on you. There's never a vice that is where there's no victory. There's never a problem so big that, that it takes away your promise. As a matter of fact, regardless of what we feel or face, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world to pay the price of redemption for us. The Bible tells us in Revelations 13 and 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are written in the book of life of lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? 
Before sin ever showed up, God had already provided a sacrifice. Before we ever faced our dilemma, God had ever already promised our deliverance. Before the problem ever showed up, God had already provided a provision for us. Before havoc came, help was already on the way. It had already been decreed over our lives that you are made more than conquerors to Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for you. And before we ever faced worry, worship filled the atmosphere. Why? This is why we can worship in the storm because there's not a storm so dark, there's not a storm so big that I can't overcome it. There's not a trial that's so heavy that I can't rise above it. There's no pit so deep I can't dig myself out of it. I'm here to tell you, no matter where you're at, what you're faced with, there's a solution, there's an answer, there's a promise, there's a deliverance headed your way. Hallelujah. Yes, Peter's failure was very serious. Not taken away from that. He suffered consequences over it. He lied. He cursed. He denounced Christ. He swore. He even took an oath. But what made Peter a great leader is he went out and repented. Some of you have hit the wrong nail with a hammer and you've said some things you shouldn't have said. Come on, somebody. You got cut off in traffic and your mouth wasn't really sanctified. We lose it over the most little things, don't we? What made Peter a great leader? He repented. What does 1 John 1 and 9 say? Elementary, but it's so important. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you happy of that? God doesn't only forgives us, he cleanses us. He doesn't just show us mercy, he also gives us grace. That's important. Mercy keeps us from getting what we deserve, but grace gives you what you don't deserve. I love that. Mercy holds back penalty and punishment. Thank God for mercy. But grace gives you freedom, liberty, life, and redemption. Peter's strength wasn't seen in his perfection or his performance, but in his persistence. How many is determined, persistent to hang in to the end? Can I have an amen? amen. Nothing is perfect without it being tested and all the bugs being worked out within it, both in the secular and even in the spiritual world. All of us is a work in progress. Amen? If you think you're perfect, well, you're not. And if you're waiting to go to a perfect church, don't go there because you'll make it imperfect. Can I have an amen? We are all a work in progress. We just have to stay in here long enough for the work to be complete. Jesus seen a side of Peter that no one else could see. A disciple and an apostle. Yet everybody else seen him at this particular point as a failure. While everyone else looked at Peter's failure, Jesus is looking at his apostleship, his leadership, and him being a disciple of Christ. His fall did not make him a failure. The only thing that would cause him to be a failure is for him not to get up and try again. If a fall meant permanent damage without any future hope or repair, and if, it, and if a fall meant that we're doomed, then I want, I got pro, we got a problem. We're all doomed because we've all failed. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23, for we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Matter of fact, it was John, 1 John 1 and 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth ain't even in us. We've all sinned, and if to fail means that we're checked out, then we're all in trouble. Some of you that are here, you're weak. Some of you are new babes in Christ. Some of you ain't been saved very long. And the minute you got saved, you were overwhelmingly, oh, that felt so good. Only for three days later for you to all of a sudden get the attack of your life from the enemy. And the enemy's already telling you, you're out, you're no good, you don't match up. Look at those people, you'll never become that. He's a, he's a liar, he's a ridiculer, he's accuser of the brother. He does everything he can to try to discourage you. But I'm here to tell you, I like what John Locke said. He said, the greatness of a leader is in his humility before God, not in his eloquence before men. Our greatness isn't in our perfection or in our ability or in our performance. It's in our humility to strive to hit the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus because the only good in you and me is Jesus himself. 
failure should not be the stopping point to the believer, but the starting point to success. IBM's Tom Watson was asked if he was going to fire an employee who made a mistake that cost the company $600,000. This was 30 years ago. He said, no, I just spent $600,000 training him. Why would I want someone else to hire his experience? Come on, that's powerful. Tom understood that he had too much invested in this guy and his experience was the company's best asset and it was not a liability. In other words, he knew that if you're going to step out and try to lead, you're going to have some failures. You're going to make some wrong decisions. Come on. I wish in 30-some years of pastoring I could go back and change some decisions I made. I wish there was some sermons that I could change. There's some stuff on the Internet. How do you get that stuff off there? Come on, somebody. When you're in the public eye, you're going to blunder. You're going to say something you didn't mean to say, and you're going to say stuff you didn't even know you said, and everybody else is laughing or they're on. You're wondering, what did I say? Come on. We all blunder. We make mistakes. Failure is a learning curve, and sometimes you can't be taught. You have, there's just some things you get caught. You just you catch it. Some things can only be learned by experience. Failure is the stepping stones to success. There's no one that's successful that hasn't failed. The only way to get experience is to try something again. Most failure is nothing more than an action of a man putting forth effort trying to succeed and try to do something. And the only way that Peter became the great apostle that he was was through him making mistakes that gave him experiences. And one of the reasons why that there's so little done among so many people, and that is that we're afraid to do anything because we're afraid of failure. You ask somebody to do something, well, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. I don't know how to know how. You don't know until you try. Somebody had enough confidence to ask you. They seen something you didn't see yourself. Get out of your comfort zone. It's tightening up now. I better back off of that. Amen? Ask somebody, oh, I'm not qualified to do that. Moses tried to get away with that. When God said, hey, I want you to go leave my, oh, I can't get I've got problems. I'm a male tell us. Come on. I've, I've got stuttering of speech. I'm, I can't go before Pharaoh. And God said, who made your tongue to talk and who made your mouth to speak? Come on, somebody. Somebody in your inadequacies, your inadequacies is nothing more than your uniqueness to be great. I wish I could say that again. I want you to know there's all kinds of people here with all kinds of personality glitches, weird kind of personalities, twisted personalities. You know what? God made you that way. And there's a uniqueness about you to where you can be effective when no one else can be effective. Hallelujah. There ain't nobody stranger than Joe Carpenter. We pick on him all the time. But he's uniquely created by God that has great results. He's a soul-winning dude. He loves the Lord. Shout, Joe. Hey. The only way to get experience is to try something again. Most failure is nothing more than an action of man trying to put something to action to do something for the Lord. One of the reasons why there's so little done is not only because they're afraid of failure, but they're intimidated to step out and try again to believe and to take a chance. The greatest reason for failure is fear of falling. I'm going to fall. But have you ever noticed Peter is noted more for his great spiritual exploits than he is his failures that he experienced? When he was among those in whom he failed in front of, they looked at him as a failure. But to you and I, he's the great apostle. Peter was presumptuous. Hot-headed, radical, spoke before he thought. He was eager to jump without first thinking. Boy, that's me. He was fast to start, slow to finish. He was, it was easy for him to show up, but was much harder for him to put up. But the end result was this. No one ever walked on water like he did. No one else's shadow healed people. No one else pronounced judgment upon some people and they died in the New Testament. No one else preached a sermon and in one sermon 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. 
You, no one else was able to do some of the things that Peter done. There ain't, it's never recorded again. His greatness isn't seen in his perfection, but in his persistence to get back up and try again. John Maxwell said, real leaders are common, ordinary people with extraordinary determination. Donald Kendall, who was once the chairman of Pepsi-Cola, said this, and I love this, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what a ship was built for. It was built for sailing. And so many want to be in the safe zone. They want a polished ship, a polished church. They want an old ship of Zion that they can display, that they can groom and, and clean and showcase and glory in its beauty of perfection. Oh, come and see the palace. Oh, it's so beautiful and it's so grand and it's so glorious. But if we're not careful, we'll dare not to sell it or launch it because it might get dirty and tattered and it might not appear or become, uh, it, might it might appear or become unpresentable. In other words, it might not cast the image that we want it to when we really put it to the test of ministry. I don't care how much you fail. Just get back up. Dust your clothes off. Amen. There's a little boy at one time, and I admired him so much. We were watching a fight, and this big bully had went in, and I was coming across the field, and everybody went, and I could see it from a distance. And this old big bully would pick that little boy up and slam him. That little boy, he'd take off, and he'd just, he was glutton for punishment, man. That man just whipped the fire out of that young boy. He'd get back up and that boy, that man said, have you had enough? He said, nope, I ain't had enough till I take you down, big boy. He said, man, oh, the old fat guy's getting a little tired. And he's sitting there kind of struggling. That little boy, he kept nailing it. And before it was over, that little boy climbed up on that boy's head and beat the tar out of that guy. Why? He would not give up. He would not stop. He wore his enemy down. He literally stayed at it until he was a victor. And I'm here to tell somebody here, if the devil knocks you down today, you get yourself back up. You brush yourself off, and you declare and decree who you are in Jesus' name. And don't let him belittle you and condemn you and blackguard you and mock you and laugh at you. And when he begins to tell you what all he's going to do to you, just say, that's all right. I know who I believe in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed to that day. He's the author and the finisher of my work, and he which begun a good work in me. He will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Come on. I'm not over till it's over. Hallelujah. Remain a fighter. Same it is with individuals, individuals like that of the old ship of Zion because we are the church. It was Albert Hubert that said, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and you'll be nothing. You try to do something for God, you're going to get criticized. You're not going to please everybody. Don't be a crowd pleaser. Be a God pleaser. And with it comes a lot of criticism. Let me say it again. To avoid criticism. How many wants to avoid criticism? If you want to avoid criticism, then you're going to do nothing and you're going to say nothing because if you do anything, you're going to be criticized. It was T.L. Lowry, one of our great men in our denomination, that said that he was told that there was a big segment of people that was talking bad about him. He said, man, a whole group over there is talking about you, Brother Lowry, and it ain't good. And he said, as long as they're talking. It didn't matter to him if they were talking bad or good, just as long as they were talking because it was bringing attention to him, and he had him an audience. Can I have an amen? Eugene War said, all glory comes from daring to begin. You're not going to ever share in glory if you never do anything. You got to get up and dare to start to believe. There has to be a starting point before there can be a finished product. Richard Exley said, falling doesn't make you a failure. Giving up and accepting your failure and refusing to try again does. When you see what Peter, when you see what made Peter the real apostle was him not only refusing to let failures get him down and getting back up, being determined and trying again, but Peter was also willing to learn from his failures. I want to tell you, determination in itself isn't a guarantee. It's an important element, but it's not a guarantee that you will succeed. It takes more than just raw grit. You're not strong enough within yourself. Abraham Lincoln said this, 
my great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you're content with your failure. Oh, that's a powerful statement. As your pastor, I can also say I'm not concerned about your failure because you've all failed. You know what I look at here this morning? A house full of failures, including myself, including the staff. Randy West ain't perfect. Josh ain't perfect. He may think he is, but he's not. When I look out over this, but uh, you know what else I see? I've seen redeemed failures. They once were failures, <laughs> but they've been forgiven. One of the things that, that's wrong with the world today, especially in American culture, and that is no one wants to be responsible for anything, especially their actions. Uh, it irritates me. They want to play the part of a victim and blame everyone and everything else for their failure. And instead of learning from their failure, they're content with your fa failure, and they wallow around in self-pity, always making excuses for what happened and why they can't do anything. And they place the blame on someone or something else. There are always, there are, are, all, there are always too many people that use their failures as a crutch which is nothing more than a manipulation and which is called witchcraft to where they can bring attention to themselves and say, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. One of the things that the body of Christ has got to stop doing is engage, help engaging people by giving them stuff in their attitude of self-pity because the squeaky wheel seems to always get the grease. And it's the wheel that's productive that needs to get the grease. And the other ones need the correction. That's good preaching right there. Amen. Peter may have failed many times, but we don't see him making the same mistake over and over and over. Peter learned by his mistakes. The mark of a true leader isn't in his ability to not make a mistake, but it's more in his ability to learn from his mistakes and to keep himself from making that same mistake twice. Amen. Some of the most dependable, trustworthy, honest, and able people are those who have failed and blundered the most. Some of the greatest successes and the greatest testimonies in the world came from a blunder of nothing more than those that have failed. They were failures, but they kept trying, and they kept trying. They get back up, and they keep doing it, and they become multiple millionaires as a result of it. Grace Murray Hopper who was a retired admiral in the United States Navy, said this, a man, must be a, a man must be big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. I have sinned. I've come short of the glory of God, but I've learned by that sin. I've learned by my mistake. All, the only failure there is is the guy that wallers in his sin and continually to practice sin. It was George Barner Shaw that said, Success does not consist in never making a mistake, but in never making the same one a second time. Someone said some people change jobs, mates, and friends, but they never think about changing themselves. They have a problem with the job. They got a problem with the neighbor. They got a problem with the friend. They got a problem with the friend. Never thinking that they may be the problem. Hello? I know a man that's been married... I know a man that married the same woman four times, and yet he never married the same woman twice. Did you hear that? Never married the same person. He had four wives. Two of them both had the same names, and the other two started with the same thing and was very close to the first. He just couldn't change for a new towel. Amen? He married four different women, but they were all the exact the same person. He, could, he, he was attracted to a certain element. I went to him, and I was talking to him. He said, what's my mistake? I said, man... You're, you're picking the same type of woman every time, over and over and over and over. Can't you learn? Hello? I said, of course, that's when I said, I got a hottie. Boy, here we go again. Rick Warren said, when you're through improving, you're through. <laughs> I think we all should say this. It's what Pauline Peter said, and then I'm going to close. Lord, when I'm wrong, make me willing to change. When I'm right, make me easy to live with. Let me remain humility. So strengthen me 
that the power of my example will far exceed the authority of my rank. I'm here to tell you that I'm not talking to the renegade. I'm not giving a license for people to go out here and sin. There are renegades. They don't care. They're not repentant. They're just using grace as a, as, as a manipulative tool. I'll go out and I'll premeditate. That's a Judas. Judas premeditated, and man, he had him himself some real serious problems. I'm not talking about the renegade that's planning and plotting and it's evil in his heart. I'm talking about the man of God and the woman of God that's sitting in this congregation. And you look around, and the enemy's just whipped up on you and thinking, man, I'll never be like Joe. And his wife saying, thank God you're not. I'll never be like Mike. I'll never be like Bill Marvin. I'll, be ne I'll never be like Pastor Miller. Number one, you're not to compare yourself to us in the first place. And number two, you don't see the, the cobwebs of our own closets. You hang around someone long enough, you'll see some glitches. I got them. But I'm polishing them. I'm trying to change. And you know what? If the rapture would take place, I'm going to heaven. Even in all my weaknesses, in my weaknesses, he's made strong. His grace is sufficient. I'm not here sinning on purpose. I'm not here making my bed in a bed of iniquity. I'm not out here going out here and being a, 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 a can't think of the name I'm wanting to use. I'm not here trying to be a sinner. I'm not trying to live a sinful life and live a double life. But there's moments of weakness. There's moments I get scatterbrained. There's moments I don't think clearly. There's moments I don't see clearly. I asked Josh Reasons just here this morning. I said, Josh, I just feel like I've been beat up here lately. I'm, I'm losing on every side, it seems like at times. I said, you ever feel that way? <laughs> every day. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad to know it. He hides that real good. And yet, I know I'm a victor. I have to talk to myself. I know I'm a winner. I'm not worthy to be your pastor. The only thing that makes me worthy is God appointed me here, and by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus, I'm able to be your pastor. It's not about my perfection, my ability, my education, my determination. No, it's all about him loving me and giving me grace over the years. You know how I get favor? I don't earn it. I don't earn favor from God through my works. I earn my favor from my heart. He knows my heart. And there's times he's come by and he said to me, Kent, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat. But I pray for you. We have a we have a high priest that's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercessory for us, praying for us. You know what? I believe in people's prayers. If there's anybody I want praying for me, I want these wild widows to be praying for me right over here. They named themselves that. I didn't name them that. These women are women of faith, man. I want them to, but you know, more importantly, Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for you. And there, I don't know, I just feel like that there's somebody here that's just been beat up, man. You did, you, I mean, you've took some blows, and they're vulnerable, and they're spiritual, and the enemy's just really having a heyday with you. Don't count yourself out. You say, well, but I've done this, and I've done that. You know what? One of the things the Lord taught me a long time ago, I sinned one time with my mouth. I said something I shouldn't have said. I went and repented of it. Ask God to forgive me, but the enemy was racking me over the coals. And he said, you're no good. And he just started on, and the Lord spoke to me and said, agree with your adversary. I thought, you are right. I am nothing, but the Christ in me is everything. I don't believe in myself, but that's not what counts. He believes in me. Hallelujah. And there's times you don't believe in yourself. 
There's times you don't match up. There's times you are insufficient. There's times you don't have it all together. There's times you're tired. Even being weary and tired sometimes can make you make wrong decisions. And Jenny's always, Kent, Kent, over here. And I'm zoned out. I'm trying to make an excuse for my failure here. Come on, somebody help me out. I'm on my own, Joe said. Joe may be a weirdo, but he's got wisdom. I love you, Joe. Now I just lost my whole sermon. Where was I? Somebody here, you just need a pastoral hug and reassurance. You're going to make it. God ain't done with you. He's not through. He's not cast you out. God will cast out no one that comes to me. Come to him. You know what he says? Come now. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they be, shall become as wool. He's giving you an invitation just to come and be cleansed of it. You said, yeah, but Brother Miller, I, I've sinned a lot this week. Well, Peter was told by Jesus himself, how much should I forgive? Seven times? He said, no, seven times 70. Figure that up. That's a lot of forgiveness. There's not a pit too deep, but God's love is not deeper still. Would you stand with me? If you're here this morning, you know what? You don't have to be ashamed of anything. Just saying, you know, I got, I got a struggle going on, man. I don't feel adequate enough. I don't feel like I'm going to make it. I want to. I'm trying. But I'm not doing a very good job of it. I'm blowing it. I blowed it with my wife, blowed it with my kids, blowed it on the job. Well, okay. Let's come up here and let's get you forgiven and then let's learn from those mistakes. And go out and don't let your failure determine your destiny. Don't let a defeat wipe you out. Because God loves you this morning. Is there anyone here this morning that just needs some pastoral love and care? Is there anybody that needs the love and the caressing of this body? We've all been there. You, you, amen. Hallelujah. I need some brother to come in around him. Just start loving on him. Help him pray. He's not out. I don't know what struggle's going on. Here's another brother. Can I have some brothers over here? He's he just weak or he's going through something. He needs some brotherly advice. He needs some encouragement. Hallelujah. Those that's coming up, would you just wrap around them as a body? Would you just start loving on them? There's somebody that's got the key to this service. I'm telling you, there's somebody beat down to where you're about to make the worst mistake at all. You're about to throw in the towel and just walk away and forsake Christ completely. Who are you? God loves you this morning. Don't, 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 don't let your mistake knock you out in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray with these just for a moment. We will be showing you in just a moment of what the tally is on the building fund, but right now this is most important. Would you just lift your hand this way and help us pray for our brothers and our sisters that came up. Ask God to encourage them to lighten the load, to give them a renewal in their spirit and their faith in Jesus' name.
ask one time, Pastor, when does the struggle stop when they put you in a casket and put you in the ground? I'm making my way through this journey just like this. You say, well, you're supposed to walk the straight and narrow. I am. I'm headed the straight way. I'm headed their way. I'm just a little unbalanced doing it. Come on, somebody. None of us are professional tightrope walkers to where That ain't how we walk. That ain't even reality. We're a blunder of flesh that's being perfected by the blood of the Lamb. And we're on our way to heaven. And Jesus is going to make sure that we get there if we'll just keep a pure heart. Just keep a pure heart. The pure in heart. Blessed are they, for they shall see God. God bless you. Brother West. to share something with you before you all leave today. When I think about from the day that I walked into the pastor's office and told him the Lord had placed on my heart that it was time for us to relieve our burden of debt, to be able to stand here at this moment today and share with you what God has done through his people today put together a debt relief plan. I, a month ago, I shared it with the congregation. I told you it was a very conservative plan that I thought we could do it and uh, with God's help. And I told you that if we could raise $5,000 a month in, in our uh, pledges and if we could maybe take up $25,000 today, there's very possible we could pay our debt off here in two years. And, uh, I presented it to you, and then I also talked about one thing that was very important that day, commitment. I told you that if we'll make a commitment, then God will do his part. Because until one is committed, there's a hesitancy to draw back. But once one makes a commitment, then all unforeseen manner of circumstances, materials, and resources, and things begin to flow our way that no man could dream of. So, Pastor and Jenny, would you all come on up here? You are faithful people. And uh, so I said if we did the 5,000 a month in monthly pledges, that would be a conservative way to do it. 
We took our monthly pledge. Told, now, listen, we've, this just counts what we've got today. This doesn't count what's coming in from the fundraisers, the little, little lot box, to those who weren't here to give this morning, to some that didn't, may give tonight or some. Didn't count any of that. This is today at this hour. Well, our monthly pledge, financial pledge, as a body, I asked, I said 5000 What is It's $5,662 a month. And then I said, well, if we do $25,000 today, if we did any more, of course, it would speed up the deal. In my heart, I've always felt that it will take two years, but that was the plan. I said, if we took up $25,000, it would be a great day. Today, we took in, Pastor, $192,921. Praise God. That means today, church, from the time we begin the service to now, we have paid, including the $300,000, $492,000 off our debt. Today, give God praise. Let's worship. How many thinks that the Lord is good? <laughs> oh, I know this congregation, and what has happened has been a great sacrifice on your part. My heart cannot express the gratitude and the thankfulness of your obedience to the Lord. 
And when we've done this kind of a sacrifice, you watch. God's going to come through elsewhere as well. And we'll see this debt paid off very, very soon. Thank you, God. You just overwhelmed me this morning. I, I can't hardly believe my ears when he said that. And one more time in this in, in dismissal, did you just give the Lord a praise offering to God? Hallelujah. God bless you. The sunset's free has a